Wonderful to see each and every one of you today, and good morning to everyone who's watching on Facebook and on YouTube. It's a pleasure to have you join us as well. I invite you to stand with us, please. It is, in my opinion, the most wonderful time of year. We're going to sing some Christmas songs today and a few others as well. So join us together. Here we go. Angels from the realms. Angels from the realms of glory, wing your flight o'er all the earth. You who say creation story, now proclaim Messiah's birth. Come and worship, come and worship, worship Christ the newborn King. Let's put our hands together just like this church. And the shepherds. Shepherds in the field abiding, watching for your flocks by night. God with man is now residing, yonder shines the infant light. Come and worship, come and worship, worship Christ, the newborn King. Emmanuel, God with us, let's sing. Emmanuel, Emmanuel, you are the God who saves us, worthy of all our praises. Emmanuel, Emmanuel, come have your way among us. Welcome you here, Lord Jesus. Have your way. Come have your way among us. Welcome you here, Lord Jesus. Lord, we welcome you here. Emmanuel is God with us. We are never alone, never forsaken. Come and worship. Come and worship. Worship Christ, the newborn King. Let's worship Him. God is with us. Even now His love is here. His love is here. Come and worship. Worship Christ, the newborn King. The newborn King. With us. Even now His love is here, His love is here, Emmanuel, Emmanuel, You are the God who saves us, worthy of all our praises. Come have your way among us. Welcome you here, Lord Jesus. Emmanuel. Emmanuel. 
again. God is with us. Amen. Now, doesn't the sanctuary look beautiful? Boy, uh, let's see. Joy and Roberta and Brenda. Well done. Well done. Thank you so much. So warm and inviting to walk in this morning. And the fact that the heater was already on, that was a bonus, too. It wasn't 45 degrees in here. I'm grateful for that. Thank you for all you did. Let's sing Angels We Have Heard. Angels we have heard on high, sweetly singing o'er the plains and the mountains in reply, echoing their joy. Now you know it. Big breath. Gloria in Shepherds, why this jubilee? Why your joyous strains prolong? What the gladsome tidings be, which inspire your heavenly song? Bethlehem. Come to Bethlehem and see Christ whose birth the angels see. Come adore on bend at me, Christ the Lord, the newborn King. Oh, forward to doing that song for the last, well, 11 months. It's finally here. 
You know, uh, trials and difficulty are unavoidable in this life. Jesus said that we will encounter trouble, but we can have hope because we can find hope in Him. We can look to Him and find shelter in His wings. This is God, I look to You. God, I look to You. I won't be overwhelmed. Give me wisdom to see things like You do. God, I look to You. You're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. You know just what to do. Lord, we look to you. Oh, we look to you. God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision. Things like you do, God, I look to you. You're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. You know just what to do. I will love you, Lord, my strength. I will love you. Yes, I will love you, Lord, my rock, forever, all my days, I will love you, God. God, I look to you. God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision to see, to see things like you do. God, I look to you. You're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom because you know, you know just what to do. I will love you, Lord, my.
church. Hallelujah, high God reigns. Yes, he does. Hallelujah, high God reigns. Hallelujah, high God reigns. Forever all my days. this time of year and at every time of the year, we can look to you for wisdom. We can look to you for help. We can look to you because your promise to never leave or forsake us is one that we can bank on. One that we know is always true. Thank you for being there for us. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, church. Good morning. This morning, we're going to turn our focus to revival prayer. And as followers of Jesus, um, we are called to live a life of prayer. And this morning, I want to remind you of what God says about your prayer life. In Luke 18.1, it says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and, not, and never give up. And this was the parable um, of the persistent um, of the persistent woman, so we are to pray we 're to pray until God answers our prayer. so if we don 't have an answer, we keep praying, and if we don 't have an answer, we just keep praying. We pray till God says yes, no, or not yet right so and then ephesians six eighteen it says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests, with this in mind, be alert. And always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So Paul, just before this, Paul had described the pieces of the armor of God. And he goes on to show that prayer connects us to the power of God, which is necessary to defeat spiritual enemies. James 5.16, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. I think it's safe to say that, and if you'll let me say this, not much happens around a church that doesn't pray. 
Our primary call is to be people of prayer. We need to get this right as a church because there is a cause and effect when the church prays. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. And my pages are stuck together, and they're just not coming in. So bear with me. Okay, there we go. That's what I wanted. So as disciples of of Christ and followers of Jesus, we're called to always pray, never give up, be alert, keep on praying. Why? Because our prayers are powerful and effective. So here's here's the key. Whatever we're hoping for and believing for, we need to be praying for. First of all, our nation. We need to pray and ask God for a, we, for a move of God on the earth and for our community. We need to pray and ask for a move of God in our community and for our loved ones that are far from God. We need to pray and ask for a move in our families and our neighborhoods and in our workplace. And never underestimate the power of prayer. I love this. God listened to Moses. Moses was one man. God listened to Moses in the wilderness as he interceded for Two million rebellious people. Pretty powerful. Before we pray, I just want to invite you back with us this evening. So tonight, the first Sunday of every month, we meet together for a revival prayer. So we'll be meeting here for um, just time of worship and a time of prayer. And I know it's cold and I know it's rainy and sometimes you get home and you get all comfortable. But um, if if God has called us to a life of prayer, I hope that you will join us tonight to answer that call. Um, so let's all come together tonight at 6.30. So one last thing. Um, Ian Bounds said, four, thi- four things let us ever keep in mind. God hears prayer. God heeds prayer. God answers prayer. And God delivers by prayer. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. And God, I thank you that, um, that your eyes roam this earth looking for those whose heart is toward you and leans into you, God, and you bend yourself down to hear our prayers. So this morning, we boldly come to your throne of grace, and we ask, God, that you would send revival to our churches and to our land. God, I pray that you would bring an honest repentance and a move of the Spirit that creates this transformation in our country and brings about a country that puts its hope in the word of God. We pray for our community, God. We ask for an outpouring of your spirit on the city of Fairfield. And that starts with repentance and it starts with hearts turning towards you. And God, we lift up our city officials and our first responders and and those that try to handle the needs of our city, but ultimately, our city needs you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would see our city and that you would send revival. And God, we pray for those that are far from you our family members, our co-workers, our neighbors. God, you're bringing those people to our minds right now. And God, those that are in our immediate circle, and God, I pray that you would meet them right where they're at. Lord, there's so many that don't have the strength or the energy or even the desire to pray for themselves. So God, we lift them up to you, and we pray and we intercede on their behalf. God, I ask that you would pour out your mercy and your goodness on them. When we were deep in our sins, Christ died for us. God, I just pray that you would see them now and that you would be merciful to them. 
And God, I pray that you would use us and show us how we can share you with them. Finally, Lord, during this Christmas season, may we live with grateful hearts as we anticipate when you are coming again. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, Carolyn. I'm really looking forward to this evening and gathering to pray and to worship together. It's going to be a great evening. Um, Before, speaking of worship, before we continue with that, let's take a moment to greet some folks around us. And uh, I'd love for you to walk up to someone and just ask, hey, what is your favorite Christmas carol? And it could be something, you know, traditional like we just sang, or maybe it's Grandma Got Run Over by a Rain. I don't know. Whatever you want to do. Whatever you just, you could find out, and then we'll continue with our worship in just a second. Okay, folks, let's make our way back to our seats. We introduced this song to you a couple weeks ago. It's quickly become one of my favorites. It was, uh, it was written by uh, Chris Tomlin and a few other folks. And um, a few weeks ago, Chris, uh, a performance of this was on the, uh, the Kelly Clarkson show. So this, uh, this song got some pretty amazing national exposure there a few weeks ago. And uh, I love it so much. It's called Holy Forever. Sing church. A thousand generations falling down in worship to sing the song of ages to the Lamb. And all have gone before us, and all who will believe will sing the song of ages to the Lamb. And your name. Your name, 
is the highest your name is the greatest your name stands above them all all thrones and dominions all powers and positions your name stands above them all and the angels cry creation cries, holy, you are lifted high, holy, holy forever. And if you've been forgiven, if you've been forgiven, if you've been redeemed,
church, you will. You will always be holy, holy forever. Let's pray, church. Lord, you are awesome, you are holy, you are righteous, you are powerful. You are the source of all wisdom. You are worthy of our praise, our devotion. Help us to live lives, Lord, that please you. Help us to be salt and light in this community and to this world. Thank you for the privilege of partnering with you in this great adventure. We love you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Thank you again for worshiping with us this morning. Nothing is better than community. Whether you're brand new to following Jesus or you've been following him for years or you're exploring what it means to follow him, we believe that the intentional relationships you find in a small group are the ideal place to connect and grow. We want to help you find a place where you truly belong and to celebrate the joys of life and to weather those storms together. And that's why our groups exist. We have three groups currently um, meeting. We have a women's group, I believe, is uh, wrapping up today, but feel free to join in. Um, there's a men's group on Wednesday evening at Matt, Matt's home, and then there's a co-ed group on Thursday nights at the Acords home. And then if you want to find out if there are more groups or when groups will be starting up again, just go to our SVC app and click on groups. Um, Christmas is coming soon. Can you believe it? <laughs> Pastor Gary is going to be starting a new Advent series today, or no, next week, sorry, December 11th, called The Story of Christmas, which will focus on the celebration of Christ's birth from this perspective of a few different key people that is, are found in the Gospels. Also, we're excited to be hosting a Christmas Eve celebration this year. It'll um, be starting at 6 p.m. And we invite you to join us at night for a special evening of Christmas carols and teaching from God's Word to celebrate the birth of our Savior. Also, there's a quick reminder to stick around for a pizza lunch after church today. Um, and then right now, we're just going to continue our worship with our giving. Have you ever found the perfect gift to give to someone? Maybe a birthday or a Christmas present that your friend or loved one just had to have. Do you remember being so excited to give it to them just because you knew how happy it would make them? God wants us to give to him and to his mission for the church that same kind of joy and fulfillment. Because in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7, it tells us that God loves that cheerful giver. So you can find all the ways, different ways to give again on our website. Just click on giving. Or you can go to our website, solanovalley.org forward slash giving. And we just thank you so much for being a cheerful giver during this holiday season. And I'm going to pass it over to Pastor Gary. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much, Elsa. I appreciate that. So, uh, hey, I don't know about you guys. I'm looking forward to our Italian Christmas lunch today, uh, pizza. Uh, if you are joining us today, either through Facebook or through YouTube, you can rush over uh, immediately after the serv- service, and, and, well, there may be some pizza for you. We'll see. So anyway, uh, I'm sure there will be, so uh, you can do that. I, I, today, um, I'm not really sure exactly how to 
to begin this message. So I, can I ramble a little bit? Is that okay? Uh, so let me let me just ramble with you a little bit today. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about prayer, but anytime we read the Bible, anytime we look at Scripture, we always need to understand the Scripture in its context. Okay. So so and the thing is, this context is very important. It is. It, context is important for every conversation you have every day. You, you don't think about it, but every conversation you have is shaped by context. So let's pretend for a moment that I'm having a conversation with, uh, with Steph Curry, who plays for the Golden State Warriors. And we're talking about a ball. And if we're talking with Steph Curry, we're probably talking about a basketball. Okay, does that make sense? If we're talking with a friend who, uh, who went to the pizza lunch after church, and uh, they go home later, and they're talking with someone about it, and they said, oh, I had a ball today. Uh, you don't think they ate a basketball. You think, oh, they had a really, really good time, okay? And if you're having a conversation with Cinderella and you're talking about a ball, you're probably talking about a dance. You're probably talking, I don't know, you're, you're talking about this celebration where she meets a handsome prince and falls in love and, you know, lives happily ever after. So context, context is hugely important when we come to the Scriptures. And when we look at the Scriptures... And, and, and again, this is something you do every single day in every aspect of your life. You just don't think about it. That every word you use has a context. Okay, if you are, uh, if you're in, a, if you're in grad school for you're studying theology, whatever, you talk about its lexical context. You have a word; it has a meaning. Usually, it has more than one meaning. So, how do you know what meaning it is? So, you have a lexical context. You have a grammatical context. So words fit together in sentences. Words aren't isolated things. They work together to communicate an idea. So if we say, Gary slam dunked a basketball over Steph Curry, we have a lot of imagination. And, uh, but we understand that Gary is the subject. He's the one doing the action. We understand that the action is slam dunking. We understand that the indirect object, you remember studying that when you were in grammar school as a kid? Uh, th- that the indirect object is the ball, and then uh, the, the direct object would be Steph Curry. That's who I'm slamming, slam dunking the basketball over. So words have a context. Words have a context. Words also have a historical context. They have a, a cultural context. You are living in a moment of history. You are living surrounded by a culture. And, and because you're living in a moment of history and in a culture that's different from the history and the culture of the Bible, sometimes we need help to really understand the intended meaning, the original meaning of Scripture. This is where it can be really helpful to have a really good study Bible, like the English Standard Version study Bible, uh, or to have, uh, what, is that what you got? got. All right, awesome. That's what Matt's got, okay? Uh, It's a really, really good study Bible, perhaps one of the best, uh, in my opinion. Uh, That's where commentaries can also be very helpful. I don't expect you all to own commentaries, but uh, I use them uh, quite often, okay, in my study. I study the scriptures, but I read from commentaries. And, and so there's all this different context, and then there's also a literary context, okay? Literary context. Literary context shapes ideas. For example, in poetry, okay? 
the way we say something poetically may be very, very different. Uh, like poetry is, uh, you use a lot of imagery. You use a lot of metaphors, okay? Like in a song. A song is simply a poem set to music, you know? And, uh, and it, it talks about ideas, but it does so in a poetic way. But if you're reading a narrative, a story, those ideas are presented differently. And all of this shapes the way we understand Scripture. And today what we're going to do is we're going to look at James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. And we're going to look at what James teaches us about prayer. So a little bit of trivia here, just, you know, useless, worthless trivia. Uh, Before I dig into the the text, uh, James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18, James had a nickname. James had a nickname. Anybody know what the nickname of James was? Carolyn, do you know? Jimmy. <laughs> okay, I had a buddy in high school. He was Jimmy James. I'm like, okay, who gave you that name? Uh, his parents did. Anyway, uh, no, it's not Jimmy. Okay, uh, his nickname, his nickname was Camel Knees. Camel Knees. According to church tradition, uh, his nickname was Camel Knees. And the reason he earned the nickname Camel Knees is because he prayed so much he had calluses on his knees. And so they nicknamed him Camel Knees. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at a message from Camel Knees about prayer. And one of the things that I want to do in this is, okay, I'm going to read for you. Uh, just I was thinking about this as I was listening to Carolyn. I was thinking about this. Uh, this is, anybody know who Chuck Swindoll is? Okay, so Chuck Swindoll, he was writing about prayer, and he said this. He says, people usually don't have a hard time ultimately turning to God in prayer when their lives are unraveling. A desperate person is going to pray. It's just what we do in desperation. When pain increases, when worry overcomes them, when events spin out of control, God finally gets his call. People, it's the 911 prayer. You understand what I'm talking about? Okay. But in my experience, this is Chuck Swindoll, so, you know, I'm going to blame him for what he says here, not me. Uh, In my experience, people tend to put off prayer as the last option. Most people try to solve their own problems instead of bringing their problems to God. He didn't say that. I said that. People tend to put off prayer as the last option, or they treat it like a time waster. It's a waste of time to pray. Let's just get to the work. Some people, that's the way they treat prayer. Uh, he, he says they treat it like a time wisher that distracts them from working out a solution to the problem uh, on their own. But James is clear. Prayer is the solution to the problem. Everything we, we do must start with prayer. This is why we do revival prayer. This is why we do it. Because we really believe that the only hope of America is revival. I believe that. I mean, if it were politics... Our politics, we're blowing up. We're hating each other in our politics. That's not the answer to America's great problems. The, the, the answer to America's great problems is the, the problem of America is the problem of the heart. And only God can solve that problem. Only God can solve that problem through the gospel. And this is why we pray for the advancement of the gospel. Because it is what our nation needs more than anything else. All right. Was that enough rambling? All right. Having said that, having said that, anybody feel guilty they don't pray enough besides me? Anybody feel guilty? 
Do you feel guilty right now because of what I was saying here? This is what I don't want to do. I don't want you to leave today feeling guilty. Okay? I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. I'm going to do my best. I don't want you to leave here today feeling guilty. I want you to leave here today feeling inspired. Okay? Is, does that make sense? Is that that... I, I, I want a stronger prayer life. That's what I want for myself. I want to see God do awesome things in response to my prayers. That's what I want to see. I, I want to be able to look back one day with joy because of the ways I've seen God act in response to my prayers and your prayers. That's what I want to see. Um, so if you want these same kind of things in your life, we're going to look at what camel knees has to say to us about prayer so i'm looking at james i should already be open to it i'm going to look at james here james chapter 5 beginning in verse 13 and what james says is this he says is anyone among you in trouble let them pray is anyone among you happy let them sing songs of praise Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they'll be forgiven. Um, Therefore, confess your sins to each other. And pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah, Elijah was a human being. You remember Elijah, the prophet in the Old Testament? Yeah, Elijah was a prophet. Uh, Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land of Israel for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Four things, four things I want to look at. And one thing I might get bogged down in, but I'm going to try to do my best here. Okay? First thing is this. If things are hard, it's time to pray. If things are hard, it's time to pray. Jesus, you know... What time is it? Hmm? Time to pray. Okay. Uh, some people say, well, it's 1045, Gary. Hurry up. Okay. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's almost lunchtime. It's almost lunchtime. But the real time is, is it's time to pray. If things are hard, it's time to pray. If trouble, um, if you're facing trouble, if, if you are in trouble, it's time to pray. Well, what kind of trouble? Well, I don't know. Guys, you could be in trouble with your wife. I don't know. Wives, you could be in trouble with your husband. Maybe there's trouble in your marriage. Maybe uh, maybe there's some financial trouble in your life. Maybe you've had some expenses this year that you didn't plan on and they were huge. Maybe, maybe... Uh, 
the doctor, you go to the doctor, and then you find out that the doctor wants to send you to a specialist. Maybe your trouble is you have a close friend or a family member who's struggling with depression. Or maybe they're struggling with anxiety. Maybe, maybe you have an adult child who's walked away from the faith. Maybe you have a parent who needs a kind of care that you just can't give them. When you're in trouble, it's time to pray. It's time to pray. When things are hard, it's time to, to pray. Conversely, if things are great, it's time to sing psalms of praise. What the Scripture says here, it says, um, Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Those words, sing songs of praise, is really one word in, in Greek. It's a single word. The, the Greek word is, is salo, P-S-A-L-L-O, would be the English transliteration. Uh, does that sound familiar? Kind of like psalm, okay? And that's what a psalm is. It is a song of praise to God. If you're cheerful, uh, it's, time, uh, it's, it's time to pray. It, or it's time to pray by singing psalms of praise. Uh, last week we looked at Psalm 100, a psalm for Thanksgiving. And we talked about things, reasons uh, to, to, uh, to give thanks. Because God is good. Because God's loving kindness endures forever. Because God's faithfulness continues through all generations. Uh, other things, other reasons for, uh, for praising God would include things like, like in Christ Jesus. If you put your faith in Christ Jesus, if you put your hope in Christ, if you've come to a place of complete hopelessness, and this is a place everybody has to come to. Every single person has to come to a place of complete hopelessness and self. Everybody has to come to a place of complete hopelessness in our righteousness. Because our righteousness is self-righteousness. And we need a righteousness that's greater than that. And what the Bible tells us, that in Christ, we are made righteous. In Christ, we are forgiven. In Christ, we are a new creation. In Christ, the old things are done away with, new things have come. In Christ Jesus, God is doing a good work in your life. And get this, He will not give up. He will not give up on the good work He's doing in your life until you come to be with Him. He will never give up on you. If you are in Christ Jesus, He will never abandon you. He will never leave you. See, in Christ we have all these blessings. Did you know that right now, according to the Scriptures and according to the words of Jesus, He is preparing a place for us? Did you know that? And did you know that the Bible says that one day Jesus is coming again? The other day I read through Revelation chapters 20, 21, and 22 just to remind myself of the good things that are coming. I mean, I was talking to my mom, and we talk about this a lot. But, but we talk about, you know, when Jesus comes again and all of creation is restored, we're going to do a bike trip together, me and her. She's 87, so we're going to wait till then. But we're going for a bike trip together. And if anybody else wants to go, you can go with us. And we're going to ride from Alaska to Argentina. This is something I would love to be able to do. My guess is the only time I'm going to be able to do it is 
after I have my glorified body and don't have quite as much pain in my back, my neck, you know, in every other part of my body. Um, but you know what? I, I am looking forward to when Jesus comes again and he restores all things. All of these things are reason to give praise. If you're happy, then it's time to praise God. Uh, you know, and, and besides all those things, I look and I think in life, many of us, we, God has given us some fantastic friends. By the way, if you don't have any fantastic friends, if you don't have any, did I say that right? If you don't have any fantastic friends, I think I said friends, but I meant friends. You know what I mean. If you don't have any fantastic friends, stick around. Have pizza today. Make a new friend. Invest. Plug into a small group. That, that, that what church is supposed to be about. I, I love this. You know, in, in Acts 2.42, it says of the early Christians is that they continually, you know what continually means? It means all the time. It means something more than occasionally. They continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That would be the scriptures. They continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship. That means building friendships. They continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking bread. That means eating pizza after church uh, and to prayer. And, and, um, and so if we have friends, we have something to be grateful for. We have something to be happy about. We have something to praise God for if we have families. There's so many things. So if things are great, it's time to sing uh, songs of praise. If you're sick, if you're sick... It's time to seek out uh, the prayers of the elders. Uh, who are the elders? Who are the elders? Uh, you know, what, what the Bible says here, it says uh, uh, in verse 14, Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Interesting. Uh, to call on the elders. The elders, the overseers, the pastors of the church is what they were instructed to call them and ask them for prayer. Uh, that, that in this, uh, in, in the context, it appears that they were sick enough, they could not go to the elders, so the elders were to come to them and to pray over them. So, so in contemporary Christian America, 21st century North American Christianity, this idea is one that I think a lot of people find foreign and strange. But in the first century, it was what you would do if you were a Christian. It wouldn't feel strange at all. It'd be exactly what you would do. That you would call, you would ask them to come and pray for you and pray for you. Uh, so why the elders? Um, why the elders? Well, one reason, one reason is simply this. Uh, I'm, I'm fast forwarding. I'm fast forwarding. Um, why were they instructed to call the elders? Uh, first of all, according to Basically this, the elders were the elders overseas pastors were the spiritual leaders of the church because they were recognized by the community of faith, the church. They were recognized for their maturity in the faith. I'm reading this to you to make sure I get it right. Okay? Therefore, it was only natural that they would be called to pray for healing. But it just wasn't just the elders who were to pray. The whole church body was also supposed to pray. You know, in America... Um, 
we talk about having a personal relationship with God. And we should have a personal relationship with God. But we should also have an interpersonal relationship with God. Almost every commandment in the New Testament has a one another, by it, before it, or in it, based upon the way the verb is written. So when it talks about praying, it's talking about praying in community. When it's talking about reading and studying the Scriptures, it's talking about reading and studying the Scriptures in community. We like to keep people at a distance. We don't want anybody to know our business. We want to keep everything in our lives behind a little wall. This is where many Christians in North America today like to live their Christian lives. This is something that is foreign to the teaching of the New Testament. It becomes super, super clear the more times you read it. And especially if you have any background in Greek, it is, it's just like it's, it's thrown in your face over and over again. That over and over again, the Bible talks about edifying one another, encouraging one another, praying for one another, building up one another, calling on one another to pray for us is that we need to uh, we need to and, and, and the reason that this is hard for us to do this is I think partially because of pride partially because of pride we don't want anybody else to know about our business and the truth is sometimes we need to bring people into our business by the way if any of you have had any experience in a 12-step program, you understand the importance of getting sober and getting clean in community. It's interesting to me that a lot of times people in AA groups understand this better than Christians. But all of this really comes from an understanding of the New Testament, this practice in 12-step programs. We need to invite the elders. Now, this is where it gets really, really tricky. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Does that sound a little strange to you? You know, praying and anoint. You, you want someone coming over and pouring Crisco over your head? Okay, it wasn't Crisco. They used olive oil. Just so we're clear here, the Greek word for, for, for oil is olive oil. Okay? Um, so, so oil, remember, oil was a hugely important part of life in the ancient world. So it was used for lighting. You know, we didn't have electric lights back then, so you didn't just flip on a light switch. You would burn oil in a lamp. It was used for cooking. It was used for, uh, actually, it was used in athletic contests uh, that athletes would cover themselves with oil before competing. It was used, uh, it was used uh, for grooming, personal grooming added to your hair. It was used in hospitality where the one hosting a meal would give oil to people who would come in and be a part of the meal. It was used for special anointing, like uh, when you read through the Old Testament scriptures uh, among the Israelites. It was used for uh, anointing uh, kings. It was used for anointing priests. It was used for anointing prophets. And it was also used, it was also used medically as a medicinal practice. So anybody know the story of the Good Samaritan? Anybody know that story? If you know the story, could you raise your hand? Okay. The story of the Good Samaritan is this. 
It's about this guy who was a Samaritan, who, which, by the way, the Jews hated Samaritans. Samaritans hated Jews. And Jesus tells a story about a Samaritan who finds a Jew who had been beaten, who had been robbed, who had been stripped naked, and who had been left by the side of the road to die. And Jesus was wanting to illustrate what love looks like, and he tells about how the Samaritan took that man, he cleaned his wounds, and then he took him and he paid his expenses to recover, to show us what love looks like. That's what loving your neighbor is supposed to look like. But when he cleans his wounds, it's very interesting, is he cleans his wounds with wine and oil. Isn't that interesting? Wine was used as an antiseptic. Okay, The alcohol in it had an antiseptic quality to it. The oil was used for soothing. It was used for medicinal purposes. So when we come to this and we read that the elders are to, um, to pray uh, while anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord, a lot of people, a lot of people believe that this is saying that we need to pray for people and we need to apply the best medicine available to help a person recover. Does that make sense to you? Now, now there are other people who say, well, the anointing of oil, uh, that would most likely be done by either a family member, a close friend, before you would call the elders. Uh, so there are some, uh, some Bible teachers, and they're not wrong. They're not wrong. It's just a different point of view. Believe that it was, it's supposed to be uh, symbolic of, uh, of consecration and of the work of the Holy Spirit in healing the person. So my belief is that, that it's the only place it appears in Scripture. I mean, I don't know if you know this. There's like almost 1,200 chapters in the Bible. And I don't know. There's like, I don't know, like 30,000-something like verses in the Bible. And this is the only verse where we, we see this. So my belief is it's better not to be too dogmatic in the way you understand it. But this is what I will tell you. This is what I will tell you. When we come to this verse, this is what I'll tell you. I think we should pray for healing, and I think we should go to the doctor. I really do. Okay? I'm not talking about every time you, you know, sneeze that you're supposed to go to the doctor. I'm not saying that. But I do believe that there, there are two different approaches that I have seen with people. On, well, let me get into verse 14, or verse 15. It says, um, is anyone among you sick? Let them call on the elders of the church to pray over them, anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Interesting, interesting, interesting words. So let's talk about, uh, let's talk about three camps of thought on this. Can we do this? There are some people who read this text and they believe this is a blanket promise that every single time you call on the elders to come and pray over you and anoint you with oil, you will, in fact, be healed. And they say, well, it says the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will, not, they will be forgiven. Let's talk about this in an extreme way. The person who discovers their child is sick, very sick. He has leukemia. He is dying. They decide, well, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to have the elders pray over my child. We don't need to take him to the doctor. They pray over the child. The child dies. That, to me, 
should never happen. Okay? That, to me, should never happen. Nor should you simply take your child to the doctor and not pray. I think you should pray, and I think you should take your child to the doctor. But there are some people who, in the name of trying to be true to Scripture, say we don't need doctors. That is not the teaching of the text at all. If, if we didn't need medicine, why on earth would Jesus talk about, why on earth would he talk about a man using the modern medicine of his day, wine and oil, to help heal a person who had been injured? Why would Jesus do that? It seems to me in the mind of Jesus that sometimes medical treatment was a good thing. In fact, I don't know if you know this, did you know one of the authors of two books of the Bible was a doctor by, by training? Did you all know that? Yeah, Luke. Luke was, uh, he's the only, only Gentile to write any portion of the scriptures. He's also, he was also a doctor. This is what he was by training. Okay, so there is one group of people who believes this text means that God always heals. And in the text, it kind of looks like, uh, it kind of looks like it implies that. The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Now, interesting, interesting things here. Uh, some interesting things here. So, so, again, and this is, I apologize. I'm a Bible nerd. I am a theology nerd. I am a Greek nerd. And so I will read the Bible through, and I will read several different translations all at the same time. So I'll be reading through like four different English translations. And then when I come to problem passages, I open up a very, very good Greek-English uh, interlinear Bible. Okay? And I'll go through, and I will look at the words, and I will look at how they're used, and I will look at how they're used in 70 or 80 other passages. Okay? So, the prayer offered in faith will make the sick, asthene, will make the sick person well. Asthene. It, yeah, it can mean sick, and it is used that way, but it can also mean weak. Uh, it can also mean, so for example, uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get lost here, so let me move on, okay? Um, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick, the esthene person well, well. What does well mean? It means well, right? Yeah, it means well. All right? Uh, Greek word, Greek word is not well. The Greek word is sozo. Okay? Now, I, I know. That's probably boring to you. Sozo is used over and over and over and over again in the Greek New Testament and in the, uh, uh, the Greek um, uh, translation of the Old Testament scriptures, the Septuagint, is used over and over and over again to speak of, guess what? Salvation. Salvation. He will make the weak or the sick person well or saved. Okay? Do you get where I'm going with this? And um, the Lord will raise him up. Raise him up. The Greek word for raise up is used sometimes to speak of a person who gets up out of bed. But it is used literally, I don't know, I mean, I didn't count how many times, but probably, 
I know over 75 times, maybe closer to 100 times. It's used to speak of someone being raised from the dead. Interesting, right? Kind of interesting stuff. So there are some people over here who, you know, they panic anytime somebody talks about healing because God doesn't do that kind of thing anymore, okay? They panic over it, okay? And they say, oh, this is talking about, you know, they're going to be saved. They're going to be one day raised raised from the dead by God. I, I really don't buy that. I really don't buy that. So, what what is where, where should we go with this? Where should we go with this? And 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 so, remember what we were saying about context. The ball, basketball. The ball, you know, Cinderella finds a handsome prince. The ball. Someone had a ball at the pizza lunch today. James. The book of James that James wrote, Campbell Nees wrote it, has a context. One of the things that you see showing up in the book of James is you see phrases like double-minded. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Then James proceeds to talk about what does lo- this being double-minded look like? Well, sometimes it looks like the person who is slow to listen, quick to become angry, quick to speak. Sometimes it looks like the person who praises God but then curses their neighbor. Sometimes this double-mindedness looks like a person who says they have faith, but they have no works. Uh, He talks a lot about double-minded people. And so finally, he he says this in chapter 4, Come near to God, and He will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will, guess what, lift you up. All right. So, in this text, we see this double-mindedness in in the book of James. And then what what James does is he he makes this really kind of strange statement where he says, Confess your sins to you. Uh, to each other, pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three, three years, six months. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. In the middle of this passage, this reference comes from First Kings Chapter 17 and 18. Elijah prays, it does not rain for three years and six months. Then, and the reason he does this is not because he's a hater of Israel, but because Israel was practicing idolatry. They were, if you go back and you read through those chapters, you will see that they were, guess what? Double-minded. They were trying to worship the God of Israel, Yahweh or Jehovah, and they were trying to worship Baal, 
or Baal, who was the storm god of the Canaanites. And so they had this battle on Mount Carmel, or Carmel, where they build altars, the, the prophets of Baal, and then the prophet of the Lord, Elijah. By the way, Carmel was the holy place of the Canaanites, just like Zion, Mount Zion, the holy place of the Jews. And they, they, uh, and they each call down fire from heaven. And God answers. Baal does not. God answers. And then the people, they see kind of like a mini revival. And they say, you know, the Lord is God. The Lord is God. And they turn to God. And then guess what? Guess what Elijah does? He prays that it will rain. And it rains. He's talking about someone who's praying. God works. He's confronting double-mindedness. And, he's, and he confronts the double-minded. There's repentance. And he prays and God sends rain. In the context, in the context, I, I believe that what we're seeing here is not a blanket promise of every single time a person gets sick if they call on the elders. Let's face it, okay? If every time we prayed for healing from a, a sickness, well, my grandmother, who used to be 92, now she's 102. I'll just pray for God to heal her. Well, I know now she's 202. I'll just pray for God to heal her. Now she's 302. I'll just pray for God to heal her. You know, if, if this were a blanket promise, then no one would ever die. Does that make sense? But when you read through the scriptures, Abraham died, you know, didn't he? He eventually grew old. He got sick and he died. Uh, Isaac, he grew old, got sick and he died. Jacob grew old. Lazarus, you remember Lazarus in John chapter 11? Jesus lets him die. He lets him die. He's sick, and he lets him die. He doesn't heal him. But then he goes to Bethany, where Lazarus was, raises him from the dead. But guess what? One day, Lazarus grew old. He got sick, and he died. This isn't a blanket promise that God is always going to heal every person who's ever sick. So, in the text, it says, The prayer offered in faith will make a sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. I, I really believe, I don't believe every single time a person is sick, it means that they've sinned. But in the scriptures, we see that sometimes sickness is a part of God's judgment on those who sin. Example, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul is writing to the Corinthians. Some of the people were taking communion. They were taking the Lord's Supper, but they were doing it in a way that they were not respecting the body and the blood of Jesus. And this is what Paul said. Some of you are sick, and some have even died because you have taken the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. That sometimes sickness has a direct cause, and the direct cause is sin. And so some people see this as James is speaking to a specific issue where there were specific people who were sick because they were in sin. They were double-minded. And so they were calling on the name. They were calling on the elders. They were confessing their sin. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Does that make sense for anybody? Did I lose you all like 15 minutes ago? All right, so if I, if I lost you, I apologize. I apologize. Fourth thing, and I'll, I'll end quickly. If you're stuck in sin, it's time to confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Now, we hate confessing our sins, don't we? Don't we? I mean, do you want to stand up on Sunday morning and say, well, you know, yesterday 
uh, <laughs> I don't want to do that. I really don't want to do that. Why? Because it feels humiliating. I don't think you're supposed to confess every single sin you have to every single person you know. I, I don't think that's what the text is saying. But I do believe that this is what the church is supposed to be. I believe the church is supposed to be a safe place. I believe you're supposed to be a safe person. I believe you're supposed to be the kind of person that someone could come to you and say, I'm really struggling with this. Would you pray for me? And you would never repeat to another person what they shared with you. You would never gossip about that person. You would never slander that person. But you would pray for that person. Now, I will tell you, there is a time when I will speak up when someone tells me about something they've done. I'm going to do that. I'm going to tell you right up front, okay? Someone touches a child. Someone touches a child. I took a young girl out of her home and called the police because her father tried to strangle her. Called the police on her. Didn't care how it affected our relationship. These were not people in our church. They were people we knew from another context. There are times where I think you have to say, your secret is not safe with me. But I think there are also times where we are struggling with something in our lives that's not putting another person in danger, okay? Not putting our lives in danger, not putting other people in danger. But we need to have people in our lives where I can say, you know, Matt, I'm really struggling with not being gentle, with joy. Would you pray for me? I need to be able to do that without being condemned, without him going and saying, hey, guess what? Gary called me the other day. He's not being gentle to joy. Um, I, I think the church is supposed to be a place where we can be honest. See, I don't think, a lot of times, I don't think we get better in areas of besetting sin until we get honest. I really believe that. I think sometimes in our lives, there are areas of besetting sin. We don't get better until we get honest. We don't get better until we get humble. So, the church is supposed to be a place where you have friends. And folks, if you need a friend, if you don't have a friend, this is sweat. I, I just, I don't like the idea of church where nobody knows anybody else's name. That's not church. That's not church. Church is not a place where you, nobody knows your name and you don't know anyone's name. That's not church. That doesn't look anything like what we see taught in the Scriptures. In the Scriptures, the church was brother and sister. This is how they refer to each other, brother and sister. Not in a formal way, but in a loving, affectionate way. The church is supposed to be a place where we are known and we are loved. We are known and we are loved. And when people are known and they are loved, they get better. All right, I, if I went long, I, I apologize for that. I, I just think that, um, well, let me just sum it all up and I'll pray for us. If you're in trouble, pray. If you are happy, sing psalms of praise. If you are sick, Ask me, ask our elders to pray over you, or ask your friends to pray over you. 
If you are struggling with a besetting sin, then find someone saved. You can talk to me. You can talk to Joy. You can talk to Matt. You can talk to Carolyn. You can talk to our elders. You can talk. But find someone, not everyone, because not everyone's safe, even in a church. Not everyone's safe. We want to be, but we're not. Find someone and say, I'm really... And if you're not comfortable even saying what it is, just say, you know, I'm not at that place yet where I can say honestly what it is. I just know I need someone praying for me. Um, And I think that that's where you begin to see God work in your life. Let's pray. God, you are great. You are awesome. You are good. And, um, Lord, my prayer is... um, I don't know. I guess my prayer is, God, that, that I don't want people to leave today feeling guilty. Uh, I, I want people to leave today inspired and encouraged to live out what this text talks about. That we would be people who pray when we're in trouble. We sing praises when, you know, when we're happy, when things are going well. And that we would humble ourselves and pray, seek prayer when we need to because we're sick. That we would also be humble. And be willing to confess to one another when we're struggling with an issue in our life that just feels too big for us to handle. Uh, And to pray for one another. Help us, God. Help us to be safe people where other people can come to us with this kind of stuff. And I pray this in the name of Jesus and for your glory. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together, church. I have so enjoyed this journey through the book of James, and I hope you have too. And I so appreciate, Gary, all the work that you've done in preaching through it. And James specifically says, you know, one of the verses that stands out to me is the fact uh, or is, is the admonishment to not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. So that's my prayer uh, for, for, uh, for, for me, for all of us here, that we will take what we've heard and that we will live it out. Okay, Um, live it out and make an impact for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of building his kingdom, for the sake of showing the world who Jesus really is. So thank you again, Gary. Pizza is going to be delivered in about 10 minutes at 1130. And if you're sticking around, we sure would love your help in setting up tables. We've got them against the wall over there and then putting some chairs around them. So uh, we'd appreciate your help with that. Let's close together here with uh, one more time with angels we've heard on high. This is the one that really, you know, you got to work on your lung, your lung capacity. It's very, very important. So whether you sing for a living or not. Church, let's sing. Angels we have heard on high, sweetly singing for the plains, and the mountains in reply, echoing their joyous
so much for worshiping with us today, for being here. Please stick around for lunch. Looking forward to connecting with you.